Welcome back to another Future Sox podcast. Joining me now on Skype is the executive editor for Baseball America. He's on Twitter at JJCoop36. It's JJ Cooper. JJ, thanks for your uh, time, man. Hey, happy to do it. Uh, how are you doing? Doing all right. Um, you know, taking over Future Sox, Matt helping me out and stuff. So it's a it's quite a challenge, but I'm, I'm excited to do it. And uh, a great, uh, great first couple podcasts here with you and some players. Yeah, excited to uh, to talk some uh, White Sox. All right, so you know, as you know, White Sox minor league system is you know one of the top ones in baseball for, after so long of it being uh, so down. You know, those couple trades a few years ago really got things going. And now there is their system is as good as any really on paper. We'll get to we'll get to the current prospects in just a second, but I wanted to get your take on a few former top prospects um, that have made it to the South Side at the big league level and get your thoughts on them. Starting with the centerpiece of that Chris Sale trade, Yohan Moncada, who's still twenty three. A lot of Sox fans wondering if he can live up to the, some of those Robinson Cano comps. So what do you think about Moncada and where he's headed? I, that's going to be tough to live up to just because that's a very, very, very lofty uh, level. At the same time, I do think that we have not seen the best that we're going to see out of Yoan Mankata. So far, the concerns that everyone had about him you know, when he was a prospect have been more uh, worrisome than, uh, than we expected. You know, I... I I did not expect that he would strike out 200 and whatever it was times. I mean, that, that's, that was surprising. I knew he would strike out a lot. I didn't expect him to strike out that much. That said, the, the tools are still excellent. There's power. There's some speed. I kind of, when I look at this team, you know, I kind of wonder, are we going to see Yohan Mankata center fielder someday? Um, really? You know, just, just because, again, not that they don't have a ton of outfielders also, but Kind of seeing how everything pieces together, you know, down the road. Um, again, a lot of that depends on how you know how does Nick Madrigal develop. You know, there's a lot of things that that kind of could fit into that. But uh, I, but I would expect you know, 24 year old Yoan Mankata to be better than the guy that we saw last year, who was, um, you know, uh, a little bit frustratingly, uh, you know, inconsistent uh, at the plate. And um, but I, I do think that he will be better than that. I think that. Um... You know what? You know, losing Chris Sale, obviously one of the the best, I don't know, pitcher the organization has ever seen, one of the top pitchers in baseball. Trading for Kopech and you know the two centerpieces, Kopech and and Moncada, and then Kopech getting hurt, and now Moncada not doing well. It's kind of Sox fans are well, panicking on that trade, I guess. And obviously Basabe and the other the other piece who also can't really stay healthy. You know, there there are other pieces to it, and they're still young, but it seems like a lot of Sox fans kind of panicking on that trade. And the cool. next, you know, the next guy is Kopech. Small sample size, just 14 innings, and obviously he's got Tommy John. But what did you like in that very small sample size? I guess. I actually, if I can back it up a little oh, bit, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. What I really liked was first half. You know, I mean, there was a stretch there early on the season that was every worrisome aspect of Michael Kopech that we've seen for years. You know, the control was just not there. He, he was a one pitch pitcher. You know, all these things that are the concerns with Michael Kopech. And then he made adjustments. And, man, that stretch basically from midway through the season until he went down with the TJ was just exceptional. And 
I know, you know, if you're a White Sox fan, I get it. I mean, you should be frustrated by his Tommy John surgery because the reality of it is, is that that pushes his timetable back realistically. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if it's back two years because, yeah, he'll essentially miss all of 19 and he'll be ready for 20. But at the same time, it depends on the guy, but sometimes it takes a little while to get back into real form, you know, normal form afterwards. And he's still going to have to establish himself at the big league level. So now we're talking about a guy who's trying, going to be trying to settle in in 2020 instead of if he'd stayed healthy, a guy who goes into 2019 feeling like, okay, I've got some innings under my belt. I'm, I'm ready to kind of, you know, at least get that kind of almost that sophomore season and be really ready to kind of dominate hopefully by 2020. A little, I mean, the timetable definitely changes. Right. That said, if it had not been for the Tommy John surgery, I feel like that, that his season was, was really everything that we wanted to see, you know, because the control got a lot better, secondary pitches got better, and he really was making some steps. It's just frustrating now that, that all gets delayed for uh, quite a while. I think I saw, uh, you know, I was in, in Winston, so I think I saw maybe four or five Kopech starts and then one as a fan, um, you know, and, and talking to him after the game, it was, you know, he knew what he needed to do. And, you know, it's it's interesting. He is He was the exact same on the nights where, you know, he was he walked six, seven guys or the night he struck out 10 or 11 or whatever it was. And each night, it didn't matter what he did. He just knew what he needed to do to get better. And as you said, he did that. You know, it's one thing to know you what you have to do, and it's another thing to go out and execute. And he knew it, and he executed. And like you said, um, that, that stretch there was pretty darn good. And I, I know Dylan Cease had Tommy John. We'll, we'll talk about him in a second. And a lot of these, these pitchers getting Tommy John, it seems like, I mean, with the way it is now, that they come back maybe even stronger. Is that, I mean, is that somewhat accurate then? No, I would disagree with that. Okay. And here's why I say that. Um, there are definitely are guys who've come back and thrown a little harder. Okay. I've tried to study this pretty significantly. Um, I generally, they come back throwing about as hard. Now there are guys who throw harder. And what you find is, is a lot of times what that is, is, you know, if a guy was pitching with a partial tear before mm, okay. and then, it, you know, it, and then it bounces back. Now, there are guys, there's also the argument that can be made that some guys who weren't working out at their, you know, full level before the injury, in the rehab process, they work out harder, and so they come back throwing harder because of that. That, that is something that doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes happens. At the same time, you know, there's also that 15, 20% of guys who just never throw as hard. You know, now again, Michael Kopech has an advantage over most of those guys, which is, is that if he comes back and let's say he's lost three, four miles an hour, he'd still have a plus fastball. Right. Now, again, I'm saying he's going to lose that velocity. But, uh, but you know, a, a guy example of this that when, uh, again, a guy who's briefly made it to the big leagues, but uh, when John Lamb was coming up to the Royals system, this was one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. You know, he's throwing, he's 92 to 95, um, you know, with the lefty, with, you know, with feel, with secondaries and all that. And then he has TJ and he came back out the next year after Tommy John surgery. And all of a sudden you're seeing 86 to 88. Right. 
And, you know, and the Royals are trying to say all the right things at the start, like, oh, he's just getting into shape and all that. And, and he was 86 to 88. And then eventually the next year he was 88 to 92. And, you know, it, sometimes it goes away. And again, that's, that's rare, thankfully, but it is, I mean, there are guys who don't make it all the way back. Um, again, I would expect, I would expect that Kopech is going to, um, be a beast in workouts, you know, getting ready. I mean, that's, that's always been something that he's been very good at. Um, so, you know, I would expect that he's going to come back as good as ever. Uh, he doesn't, obviously he doesn't need to throw harder. Um, one, I mean, that was, I think something that, you know, you saw too. One of the things that stood out is, is not that he does not throw hard because I, I remember seeing a start of his in Durham where he was definitely bringing it, but he has Michael Kopech at 96, 90, you know, 95 to 97 is a more effective pitcher a lot of times than the Michael Kopech who was touching a hundred pretty regularly when he was younger in his, uh, his minor league career. So, you know, again, the, the big thing that understandably, and, you know, we'll probably talk a little bigger picture at some point, with the rebuild for the White Sox is, yeah. is that this is a, I mean, this hurts. I mean, there's no way to dress it up because this means one of the key impact guys that they have, the potential impact guys that they have is just, is not going to be part of the 2019 team and can be less relied on for 2020. And that's, that's going to hurt. I think, you know, a lot of, you know, myself being a big time Sox fan, you know, it's just, it's very, it's disappointing and it's frustrating, but you know, I, I guess if there's, like you said, if there's a guy out there that that has that work ethic, that previous work ethic that was never in question. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, you could say about Kopech was a workout warrior, so to speak. Uh-huh. You, you would assume, or you would hope at least that, you know, the odds are, like you said, that he can at least be back to what he was before. So I, mean, I think that's what we're all we're all at least hoping for. I, I, I hate to throw it out there because, I mean, you know, and let me make clear, cause I've been skeptical of Lucas Giolito for a very long time now, and mm. it's nothing against Lucas Giolito, the person or anything like that. But if you want an example of a guy, Lucas Giolito in high school was a 100-mile-an-hour guy. Lucas Giolito that had TJ, and it was a steady degradation. I mean, he came back and he was throwing 95, 96, 97, you know, and, he, I mean, you saw it last year. It's the the, the velo's not there like it, yeah. it's not there like it was, you know, and that's key for him. It's just that not that he has to throw a hundred, but he's got to throw harder than he threw much of last year, much of the last the year before that, if he's going to be a guy who uh, who has big league success, consistent big league success. So one guy I wanted to talk about a little bit later, but since we're on this topic, is Dylan Cease. I mean, he's it seems like he is the opposite of Giolito then in that in that case. Yeah, I mean, you know, and to say that Cease was, I mean, Cease threw hard before yeah. the TJ, you know, but, um, but again, I, I think that you can say much like we could talk about Michael Kopech, I mean, this is a guy who has made strides. He is, he is more and more a pitcher to go with, not just a thrower. Um, you know, I think, I still think that he has further to go on that than, than Dylan, you know, than Michael Kopech did. I think Kopech, I kind of, was, is further into that transition. But I, again, I would, you know, 
I kind of wouldn't be surprised at all if Cease is kind of in 2019 on the path that Kopech was in 2018. Um, you know, where at some point in 2019, I kind of expect we're going to see him. I wouldn't expect it to be, you know, coming out of spring training, but I expect that we would see him at some point next year. And, you know, again, I mean, the, those are the guys, you know, that I look at who uh, Kopech and Cease, you know, getting further development from Ronaldo Lopez, getting, you know, a healthy, successful Carlos Rodon. That's the part where I think is kind of the, 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 the part of the White Sox rebuild I'm most fascinated to see, you know, does it work? Because they have a lot of outfielders. Yeah. A lot of outfielders. They're going to be fine. They should be fine in the outfield. Um, but, you know, they need some of these pitchers. It, it's, it's a volatile, you know, pitching prospects are volatile. And they need several of these guys to take steps. Um, I think we saw parts of it, you know, we saw glimpses last year, but, uh, but I, I, but I do think, I mean, again, you probably saw Cease as well. Um, I do feel like that this is a guy who it just, the consistency keeps getting better. And, and that's kind of one of the key things for him is we always know, I mean, it's a great arm, but the secondary is the consistency of the secondary has gotten better and gives him a better chance to be kind of that that starting pitcher who the uh, White Sox can rely on, not just a guy who throws hard. So the other the other big part, the other big trade we kind of touched on, Giolito, um, at the end of 2016 was you know the, the deal for Adam Eaton, in which they got Giolito, Lopez, and then Dane Dunning. I mean, Dane Dunning, we'll, we'll talk about him with, with a little more current prospects, but you kind of touched on Giolito a little bit, but what about Ronaldo Lopez um, in terms of where you guys saw him before into what he was last year, into where you think he might be, you know, in these next couple of years. I will say, you know, I, I, I want to acknowledge my biases. You know, at the time of the trade, and I think I said it at the time of the trade, I believe that Ronaldo Lopez is going to be a better pitcher than Lucas Giolito. Okay. Um, I still think that. You know, I, I think that we um, we saw reasons to believe that last year. Um, I, I just think the stuff's better. Um, you know, I. And it seemed like, you know, I, I did feel like, and again, I, let me make clear, I hesitate to say this kind of stuff because there's only so much baseball one can consume. And so this is a White Sox podcast. I want to acknowledge my, uh, my frailties here. I try to keep track of the big leagues to go with and the minors and the draft and right. college. Well, there's a lot of baseball I try to consume. But, you know, I know that there are people listening to this who saw a lot more Ronaldo Lopez starts last year in the big leagues than I, than I watched. Um, but I was very encouraged by what I saw with him. And I do think, you know, again, I'm not thinking that he's going to be the, the future ace of the White Sox. That you know, I don't, think, I don't think they see that. But I do think he can be a very solid middle of the rotation starter potentially. Um, and the good news is, is that, you know, again, if Michael Kopech, I think Michael Kopech could be that ace. And if Michael Kopech does, again, and I'm not saying that's 100% by any stretch, but there's that 50, 40% shot that Michael Kopech does become an ace. Well, you need guys like Lopez because, you know, again, you want to have a solid full rotation. Um, you know, again, and I'm not throwing Giolito out that, like, there's no hope for him at all or anything like that. We did see, felt like, again, a you know, you probably know this better than I do because at the big league level, I, I couldn't, I couldn't watch a ton of White Sox games last year. But 
from what I was paying attention with it, you know, it did seem like Giolito's stuff got a little better as the season went along. Um, so, you know, there's at least a little bit of hope there too. Uh, you know, but again, the thing I do like about this is, is that when I'm looking at the rebuild for them, you know, they're not all going to work, right, but yeah. Kopech C Kopech C stunning gives them three guys to go with the three big leaguers we just talked about where it's like, okay, you know, yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason to think that, that they could get four or five starters out of that. You know, really, if they could get, let's be honest, they could get three really good ones out of that, you can piece together the rest of it, no problem. But, um, you know, that's the part where I feel, okay, I can see that path, you know, and then, again, ton of outfitters, love Eloy. That said, my concern with this White Sox rebuild right now is, this, okay, if Eloy is a cornerstone guy, and I think he is, they're going to need Moncada or, you know, take a pick of one of these other guys we're going to talk about to kind of develop into, when I look at these rebuilds and when they're successful, you have multiple kind of, again, impact type players. And right now, I'm, I, the concern I have with this White Sox rebuild is how many impact guys do they have? And I'm not so sure about that right now. Interesting. Okay. Um, Let's so we kind of talk about some of the former prospects. Um, so let's get into you know the current ones. Um, we, we kind of touched on, on a few of them a, a little bit, but first, you, you mentioned Eloy. If he's anything but a cornerstone, I think literally every every White Sox uh -oh, fan will be, uh -oh, uh -oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's every single White Sox fan is going to be disappointed. If he's not a cornerstone, I know this sounds crazy because Eloy Jimenez is not our number one prospect. And I know at one point Yohan Moncada was, you know, um, that said, I would be much, much, much more surprised if Eloy, even with Moncada, there was always, you know, I guess he technically was never our number one at the end of a season. Okay. We had Benetton ahead of him, but he was, I think, in a mid-season at one point, I think he had him number one. But... With Mankata, if you said Mankata ends up being a good player, not a great player, you'd say, oh, yep, the contact rate always got in his way. If Eloy ends up just being kind of a run-of-the-mill player, I'm going to kind of ask the question, like, what happened? Because, you know, I have zero doubt that Eloy Jimenez is going to hit. For average, for power. Don't know how well he's going to play defense. I don't know how well... You know how long he's going to be. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like a, a a regular in a corner. I mean, I, I wouldn't be stunned by his late twenties if he's a DH even potentially, but right. a first baseman or whatever. But you know, I mean, I, I'm imagining you feel the same way. Like Eloy is going to hit because guys like him, guys who have his skill set, his power, his batting eye, his contact ability, his hitting ability his swing, all those things, they hit. But, you know, that's one of the things I feel really good about right now is I feel really good that Vlad Carrera Jr. is going to be a, you know, is going to hit. I feel really good that Eloy Jimenez is going to hit. And, yeah, if he's not a cornerstone of this White Sox team for the uh, first half of the 2020s, 
well, the rebuild's going to be in trouble, yeah. and and yeah. I'm going to be scratching my head, going, "What did I miss?" Because I don't have a whole lot of explanations for why he's not going to be a very good player. That is a guy. I, I mean, I probably saw him. I don't know, maybe a dozen times or so. It's a guy that uh, not only uh, is is very good on the field, but he is uh, he's a, a fun personality too. He's a fun fun guy to. You can tell every day he comes. And he just loves being out there and enjoys the game. Um, he's <laughs> just seeing some of the swings he took, and then just watching some of the other players. It's, it seemed like it wasn't even close. And yeah, if he, I fully expect him to be uh, okay. So we, we say cornerstone. Are we talking perennial all star then? It's hard to say that a guy's a disappointment if he's not a perennial all star. But if he doesn't make some all star games, yes, I'll be very disappointed. Okay. He's yeah, and the defense that's a, that's another story. There's always there's always a place for him for a guy like that can hit. So um, hopefully that's something we don't have to worry about. Um, already talked about Kopech and uh, Cease a little bit. Um, what about Nick Madrigal? A lot of a lot of Sox fans kind of wondered, you know, that they didn't know a lot in depth. They wondered why they took a middle infielder that hit for average in to them to to the. The untrained, I don't say untrained eye, but to the, the, you know, the eye that doesn't follow a lot of, of college baseball and doesn't realize it. Why did they take him at four if he's a middle infielder that just hits for average? Well, you are hoping, and there is a legitimate hope. I mean that you are hoping that he that basically the um, that we didn't see the full Nick Madrigal last year. Which is understandable. You know, he had injuries. You know, he had an injury that, that could cause that. That said, you know, he's got to hit for more power than he did last year. To have, I mean, yeah, the, 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 guy that, the guy that we saw last year, if that's him, then that's a nice player, but that's not, right. that's not an impact player. And, you know, I, the... Here are my reasons for belief that, that can happen. One is, like I said, you know, there's an injury. Two is that considering he was coming in straight off the college season, again, that first year, teams don't mess with things. You know, he has to pull the ball more. Has to. You know, has to. If he's going to be more than just a slap-hitting, you know, nice player. Um there's no reason to think that he shouldn't be able to develop that further, you know? And again, that's something that I imagine that I expect is going to be a point of emphasis for them, you know, for the White Sox, you know, organization with him for 20, you know, 19 and 2020 and 2021, you know, but he is, I mean, it is a, he has a wide range of uh, potential outcomes because if everything breaks right, you're talking about a guy who is either an exceptional defender at second or maybe even a guy who could play short who hits for average in power, and, man, that's a stud. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have a guy who's fine at second but not, you know, nothing exceptional and, uh, you know, who, does, who just hits for average and no power. And if that's the case, again, that's a nice player, but that is one that you're going to look back on and say – that was fourth overall. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, but the nightmare scenario 
again, the nightmare scenario is Christian Colon went fourth overall uh, in the Chris Sale draft. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't think a lot of people really realize pro- that. Really productive college hitting middle infielder, shortstop who probably had moved to second base, um, who, you know, ended up being a guy who was a really good college player. Now, again, I think yeah. Nick Madrigal is going to be better than Christian Colon, but. You know, that's kind of a – I mean that's truly a worst-case scenario. The the fact that you mentioned those two guys in the same sentence is probably scaring White Sox fans to death right now. <laughs> Sorry, did not mean to do that. No, I mean to be – I, mean, I could, not help but, could not help but remember that's like, wait a second, Christian Colon went fourth overall. Yeah. And I remember when Christian Colon went, I was like, you know, he's probably not a shortstop. He's probably a second baseman, but he does everything really well. And – you know, again, now the difference is, is, you know, really at the time, what you the kind of the hope with Cologne was, is that he was a whole lot of 60s with, you know, 50 power. And really the reality is, is that he ended up being a whole lot of 50s with 35, you know, really 40 power maybe. And, you know, again, but that's the thing is, is that like, it's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about the difference, like with Eloy, okay. Let's say you and I are both wrong on Eloy, and so where we think that he's a 70 hitter with 70 power, he ends up being a 60 with 60. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of shrug our shoulders a little bit at that, but the reality is that that's still a really good player. Well, if we think that Madrigal, if I think, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I think that Madrigal is a – 60, maybe even 70 hitter best case scenario with, let's just say, you know, with 40 power, 45 power. Okay, that's, you know, and again, if that's with 60 defense at even second, that's really good. But if I'm off there where he's actually a you know, 55, 60 hitter with, you know, 30, you know, or, or even 40 power, and he's a 55 second baseman, well, all of a sudden, you know, the, the margin from him being an above average player to being an average player to being a below, you know, a fringe average player, he, he's got a lot less margin for error there because he's, you know, again, the power just has to get better. So do you think they made the right move? Um, picking where they did, you know, I do think there's more power in there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot fault that pick where they picked. You know, because I'm getting, I get it. I, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head. Did the White Sox pick fourth, or am I, am I blowing that? Uh, it, was, it was fourth. I mean, the other guy, I mean, Jonathan India was, in, you know, some of those other guys that had more yeah, power. Okay. That, it was fourth. Yeah. You know, India, you know, again, and on the college bat side, no doubt. Again, nothing guarantee everything. There was no doubt Big Bad had the longest track record of any of the, the college bats who were available. Um, you know, and again, I mean, we will, we will know a lot more, a lot more uh, at the end of uh, 2019 than we know right now. A couple guys that, um, that were not healthy uh, for this past season that have all of the potential in the world, Luis Robert and Micah Adolfo. Uh, these two guys, I mean, I, <laughs> you put them in the outfield with, with Eloy projected that. I mean, that's that's unheard of. But what are your what are your thoughts? We'll start with Luis Robert. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on this guy? I mean, he's built like a a safety from Alabama. I mean, he he's and he runs like a deer, and he's he had those hand issues. So maybe some of the the, the bat the hitting wasn't there this year. But what do you what are your thoughts on Luis? Again, he's another guy that we could understandably make a lot of excuses for. Okay. He had injuries. Um, the, the transition nowadays from Cuba to minor league ball is pretty significant. And, and the reason for that is, is that the, the level of competition in Cuba now has just gone down. Why has it gone down? Well, because most of the best players in Cuba are playing right, in the U.S. Right. So, you know, so all those things are true. That said, again, you know, much like we talked about Madrigal, Robert is a is a high ceiling, high risk prospect. You know, he has a lot of refinement to go. Yep. And he didn't have a great year. You know, there are the the things that were concerns coming into last year in many cases are, are more concerning coming out of last year than they were going in. Now, uh, again, I can explain away every one of them almost, you know, because again, transition, it is a, it's also a massive cultural change to go from Cuba to the U S the injuries, you know, anytime he really started going, he always had an injury that kind of stopped him and he had to kind of ramp back up again. There's a lot of explanations we can make. That said, I feel much more confident about Mick, you know about Mick Rodolfo in many ways than I do about Luis Robert because I feel pretty comfortable that Mick Rodolfo is going to hit. Yep. You know, I feel like he's made significant strides the last two years, even with. I mean, again, he's a guy who we could have thrown out like, well, you know, just playing with, uh, you know, basically a torn elbow ligament that knew he knew he needed Tommy John. And that really did not affect his ability to hit until they shut him down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but yeah, like, now, I, you know, I've, I've talked to scouts before who say, you know, it wouldn't be shocking at all if Victor Dolph ends up being, a, you know, being Abisail Garcia, which isn't terrible. Um, you know, but that's, but he also could be a lot better than that. All right. and, uh, let me let me interrupt you there. Are, are we talking about Avisail Garcia that people said was Miguel Cabrera Jr.? Or are we talking about the Avisail Garcia that hasn't been able to stay healthy and, and now may be released? Or that was released, may be brought B. back? B. More B. I'm not talking okay. about, you know, like, I'm not saying, like, comparing him to when Avisail Garcia was coming up. I'm talking comparing him to who Avisail Garcia has turned out to be. Okay. That's kind of a floor type, you know, for him. So... Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the thing I'm going to be fascinated to see is the White Sox have more outfielders than, you know, more outfield prospects than they have spots. Yep. Yep. And that's a good problem to have. But now at the same time, you know, a number of these guys still have, uh, with the exception of Eloy, pretty much everyone has still has significant, uh, items left on their to-do list. And so now we have to see kind of how they uh, how they answer those questions. So we talked about three of those outfielders, Eloy, Robert, and, and Adolfo. 
So I guess the the top remaining four, uh, whatever order you want to put them in, I don't I mean at this point, uh, it doesn't really matter. Rutherford, Gonzalez, Steel Walker, and Luis Basabe. I mean, you've got that's seven that's, guys right there that you know would be seven outfielders in the top ten. Right. Yeah, that would be just any organization would, would die to have two of them. Um, now, now let me say though, you know, again, and I don't, you know, I really like this White Sox system. Mm-hmm. Let me make sure. Like, I mean, again, it's a really good system. This isn't to me. I think it's pretty clearly not. We've never had it as the number one farm system in baseball. Right, right. And I don't think it's number two either. And the thing with these, you know, the seven outfielders in the top ten is really good. You know, because, again, outfielders are generally a position that has a pretty good hit rate. At the same time, once we get to this next group that we're talking about, there is a lot of fourth outfield potential in here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not, um, you know, I, Blake Rutherford is a really good outfielder, uh, a really well-rounded player, you know, does a lot of things well. But at the same time, you know, he's not really a center fielder probably, um, although he's pretty solid defensively kind of wherever you put him. Um, power has to get better. You know, again, Luis Gonzalez is, you know, there you, you can get fourth outfitter comps on him. Luis Basabe, you could get fourth outfitter, you know, profiles for him, depending on who you're talking to. And, you know, Steel Walker, I kind of, you know, feel like is, you know, he's got a little bit more kind of, uh, you know, on the to-do list because he's just, I mean, he was just drafted last right, year. Right. So, you know, when we're comparing this, you know, and again, I know they've had some graduations now with, you know, Ronaldo and, and Giolito and, and a couple of other guys. But when we're comparing this farm system to, say, like the Padres or the Rays or the Braves, I think those systems are deeper. Um, and I think I think that the White Sox do run out of kind of impact guys quicker than some of those other systems do. Um, and that's really like, I mean, if we're looking at it big picture, I still have – you know, the, I feel like that the White Sox are going to have to make some really smart moves to fill in the holes because as opposed to some of these other teams we're talking about, I feel like that there are definitely holes where it's like, okay, I don't know, you know, if we're projecting out, you know, we do in our prospect handbook, we do a 2022 lineup. And if we're projecting out where the White Sox are going to be even in 2020, there's still some questions there. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. And and there are still some questions there, and we're now far enough in to the rebuild that ideally you're you have less questions at this point, you know. And so that's that's kind of just one of the the struggles and one of the questions that they face. And uh, like you said, I mean, I think that you know, it seems like not not pressure, but goes back to Eli, man. If he's not a cornerstone and Kopech's not back and, and, and sees these top three guys, I think there's going to be, you know, like you said, you've got four, three, four, five, fourth outfielders, which, I mean, that's fine. You know, you got to build a team and somehow. You're, you're, you have to spend money. And you have a hope that right. some of them are going to be better than that. Right. Like, okay, you know, but, and again, it's not like they don't have some guys are in the big league level, but let me ask you again, I, 
you know this big league team better than I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say Eloy is that, you know, three or four hole hitter who mashes. Okay, 2020, 2021, 2022. Who are the other cornerstone hitters? I mean, is, I guess we, you know, really we're counting on Mankata to, to take that step. I mean, I, but you're hoping. Maybe one of Robert or Adolfo turns into something like that. Right, but let's say Robert does. I think Robert, realistically, even if he does, you're probably talking more 2021. Okay. You know, I mean, because I know you know, I mean, you know, like like Eloy was tearing up Low A a couple of years ago, and he's going to be a 2019. Um, you know, Robert really, you know, is is going to like. If he tears up 2019, it'll be predominantly, I think, at, at A ball with a you know finish in Double A, and then probably in 2020, you know, he'll still need further time. So you know that's a you know a couple of years away. Um, you know, I, I could I'll put it this way: I completely understand why the White Sox are in on you know on you know on getting a Machado or someone like that because well that does change the equation immediately. Because you, I guess what I'm saying is, is I really, for Eloy's sake, I don't want Eloy to be the guy who has to be the guy from the day he arrives. Yeah. Works out a lot better. You know, again, I look at, you know, and I had some debates with White Sox fans at the time, but like I, you know, about how I thought the Braves had a better farm system than the White Sox last year. Well, one of the advantages the Braves had is they had a Freddie Freeman already there. So when Acuna, and they had an Ozzy Albies. And so when Acuna arrived, they, he didn't arrive having, he ended up being maybe their best player arguably, but he didn't have to be that from day one. Um, and again, I, I do think that it would be, you know, if they could get Manny Machado or, you know, or Bryce Harper, you know, take a pick, having someone like that who is the cornerstone guy you know, and kind of allows when Eloy arrives that he's the, you know, that he kind of ascends to that role just because he's so good that you can't avoid it, not he's the savior from the day he walks in the door. Um, I think that they need something like that because, again, now the advantage that the, the White Sox have, which, again, you know better than I do, but it's a great division to be uh, oh, yeah. trying to get. Absolutely. You know, and... I mean, but, you know, like for you, when, when do you kind of see, like, when does this window go from rebuild to big league success? 20? Uh, you know, the Kopech thing, it set everything back. I mean, not just his his thing, but I think it set the, all, I mean, the whole team back, the whole the whole rebuild back because. I agree. You know, ideally you wanted Kopech to have, I mean, he's not, no one in the right mind is going to say he's going to come be an all-star this year, but you would at least like him to be. You know, to, to show, to build on what he, he fixed midway and hopefully see that through through the All-Star break, you know, and you know, as his innings got, to, you know, got higher and higher, he'd probably maybe not do as well down the stretch, but, you know, at least that first, you know, six, seven months or whatever it is yeah. to, or not six, seven months, five, four or five months is what I should say, to see what Kopech built on. I think that would have been really encouraging. Um, but yeah, and, you know, not bringing Eloy up last year, I think that, that's, I don't want to say sets it back, but I mean, that's a whole different thing. So who knows when he'll be up this year. I just think, you know, this year is, 
kind of a kind of a wash again. I, I don't think they're going to be they're not going to lose 100 games, but uh, it's not it's not where it it could have been if everything if everyone would have stayed healthy. I know it's it's sports and that you can't count on that, but uh, I would say the it would probably be hopefully you contend for a wild card in in, in 2020 and you know as currently constructed and then a year after that who, who knows I guess maybe maybe not a wild card because we mentioned that the central is not nothing to write home about so maybe some of those wild card teams are going to be who knows what you know I, I was going to say teams. wild card I think wild card may be tougher and looking oh, at the yeah, east. Yeah. And the West than uh, than winning the Central, yeah, especially with, now that, with Cleveland that the, the, the Indians seems like yeah. I mean, the Indians are basically almost seem like they're looking at it as they can be worse next year and still win the division. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a luxury to have, huh? Which I, I think you could argue very much could be true. Right. I mean, <laughs> because <laughs> you know, I, I don't see who's catching them. I mean, the Twins are the only team that really, again, we could. You know, if if the White Sox you know signed one of the free agents, we could be talking a little differently. But right now, I mean, the Twins are the only ones who've really made any moves to even try to catch them. So, yeah, and it goes back to the the Kopek thing. I mean, you know, you get a full season of the Kopech, you get an improved Yoel Moncada, uh, a cornerstone of Eloy the way he's supposed to be, and then with then you sign Harper Machado. That's a, that's a team that's a lot closer to contending for a division next year in that in said division, maybe not in any other division in baseball, but in said division. And now that's, you know, that's, it's up in the air. And I think more realistically, 2020 is, is more, if we're not seeing at least a 81, 82, 83 win team in, in you know, it would have been nice to say 2020, then there's some problems, but you know, right now, I guess, who knows? Um, you, you mentioned the bats and not having those standout bats. Some other guys that um, not in the top ten of Baseball America that when they drafted them, you know, hope, they were hoping for them to be those bats. And, you know, Jake Berger, who's had the injury issues, and Zach Collins. What, that's what are your that's rough. On? I mean, you just got to tell. I know I think you're getting ready to do an interview at some point with, uh, with Berger, you know, but you just got to feel for him. Yeah. I mean, really do. Because – you hope that it's not the case, but that's a significant, well, a pair of significant injuries to work back from. And, you know, it, it just makes the path harder. I mean, there's, I wish that was not the case, but, you know, there's really been two top college draftees in recent years who've suffered an almost immediate injury where you just you just have to fear that it uh, it may limit their ceiling down the road you know burgers won and kyle lewis who uh was the uh, first round pick of the mariners a few years ago is the other because you know lewis blew out his knee in a collision almost immediately after he was drafted and you know he's a little further along but i mean the reality of it is is that yeah he lost some athleticism from that the d continues to bother him he doesn't run as well you know all that in Berger's case, there was already questions about where his defensive home was going to be, and this is not going to make it easier. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, I mean, unfortunately, um, the concern really that you have is is that I, I, and again, you you hope that all these guys stay at the at the upper end of their defensive spectrums, and when you talk about Berger and Collins. 
if they don't stay at the upper end of their defensive spectrums, they kind of all end up in the same spot where Gavin Sheets is also, you know, they all end and where Jose Abreu is now, you know, it's, they all end up at first base. Um, And you don't need that many first base. And the offensive demands of first base and DH are, are much higher. So, I mean, I hope for Jake Berger's sake, you know, that basically that, you know, we're talking about him at the end of 2019 and we're saying, man, that was a great recovery. And, you know, he hasn't, doesn't look like he's missed, he's lost a step at all. But, you know, those, that, that's a hope I have right now. You know, we, we, I, it's always tough doing this job because, you know, you have to, you, know, you want to be honest about players, but at the same time, I hope for guys to succeed. And especially, you never want a guy to basically have his career derailed by an injury, especially right as he's getting his career started. And, you know, you have that hope for Jake, but you, you do have legitimate concerns because this is not the same thing as, you know, it's not even really the same thing as Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, uh, there's less track record here. And you just hope that, again, his mobility comes back uh, 100% afterwards. Who's that, Collins? You, 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 you know, we kind of, in some ways, know, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, he's not going to hit for a ton of average. He's going to draw a lot of walks. So I, I can live with that, you know, as a catcher. Uh, you know, there'll be some power there. But the hit tool, you know, does face concerns about whether he's going to hit for hit enough to be a regular. And then there, you know, but the big question, you know, which, I'm not, I'm not telling any, you know, secrets that most of the guys listening is don't know, but you know, he's got to get better defensively. And that's a significant to-do list for a guy who is really knocking on the door. Um, you know, uh, again, it comes down to question also is, is so, you know, what, what is the, the acceptable standard to be able to play in the catcher? And that's something the White Sox will have to determine. Let me ask you this. Um, the last, you know, from what we've we've talked about, we haven't talked about Rodon or Fulmer. I mean, they're a little bit further away from, you know, when they were drafted. But So you look at Rodon, who has who's shown flashes of brilliance. You look at Fulmer, who's now in the bullpen and who, who had electric stuff coming out of Vanderbilt, but is, it just hasn't worked as of yet. And then you look at Zach Collins, the questions about him, Berger, questions about him, and Madrigal, who we we hope, as you said, you think there's more power there, but if there's not, that's not a fourth pick of the draft. Those last five picks, there are so many questions for the White Sox. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I don't know. You would know this better than me, but I don't know how many times, you know, out of five, you've got five top seven picks or ten picks or whatever it was that you they have had this many questions like this is that how do you compare this or is this something i, I don't really know how to ask this question but i think you know what i'm saying no, i'll follow you yeah um i mean the reality of it is is that there are no guarantees in this and right. if you're looking for examples um i'll give you an example that i think's doing worse at it uh you know that's got more questions phillies you know had I mean, you can talk about top 10 picks. They had Cornelius Randolph, who is not a significant prospect of any sort at this point. 
And they picked 1-1, and they took Mickey Moniak, who there's still hope for, but is not a top 100 prospect right now, and not really close to the top 100. Um, and then they took uh, uh, Virginia outfitter. I'm just blanking on his name because my brain does not work that well anymore. Uh, give me a second, and I will remember it. But as I, uh, but, uh, as I say that, you know, who... Adam Hazley. Uh, uh, Adam Hazley's case, you know, there's some work out there. And that was three contenders. Um, the Royals had a stretch there where we talked about Cologne, but they took Cologne, they took Kyle Zimmer. They, they had a stretch where they kind of, you know, struggled with top ten picks. I mean, there are examples where it happens. That said, you do want, you know, you, you do need that that a couple of these guys, again, and Madrigal, I mean, Madrigal, to me, when we're talking about this, Madrigal's a top 100 prospect right now. Um, you know, we, we want to see more power this year. But, again, there's an explanation for why we didn't see it last year. He still was very good. Um, and, you know, I expect that we're going to see a better season in 2019 professionally than we did last year with him. So, but, but no, I mean, Jake Berger's had you know, pretty horrific injury problems, which is a, you know, again, I mean, that's, I don't think that there's any blame that can be thrown around there at all, as much as it just is sometimes luck is a terrible thing. You know, again, if we were even talking about, uh, again, it's not a great analogy, but Mike Matuella a few years ago was a potential first round pick coming out of Duke. And he had a lot of injury issues, and then he needed TJ. And so, you know, injury issues have really kind of derailed him. Well, that was something that kind of coming in, you could kind of say, well, you know, we kind of saw that coming. <coughs> I mean, no one saw this burger, you know. Right. I mean, yeah. no one could have predicted that that was going to happen. That's not something, you know. And then Zach Collins, uh, Really, to me, Carson Fulmer is the one that I scratch my head on more now. Um, you know, looking back, and that was not a very good draft. I mean, it was no. a pretty poor draft. Yeah. Like, so, you know, but that said, you know, he was, he was picked eight. You know, Collins was 10th, Berger was 11th. Yeah. Whiffing on the eighth pick. And, you know, I mean, really at this point, I mean, what's your kind of hope that you, what you get out of Fulmer? I mean, it's, you know, risking on the eighth. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's tough to say. Is, is, is harder, you know. But, I mean, the reality of it is, is, I, you know, I still to this day, I remember watching Courtney Hawkins and Winston-Salem, you know, seemingly an hour after he was drafted and kind of scratching my head. And, I mean, that's one that I'll never figure out because I was never figure out why was he there. And... You know, maybe he just was never going to make it anyway. But that was a case where accelerating his development as fast as they did did him no favors. You know, but but the reality of it is, is that I mean, it is fair to say. Again, Tim Anderson's a big leaguer. You know, Carlos Rodon's in the rotation. You know, but I mean, you really have to go back to Chris Sale in 2010 to say, you know, that's a slam dunk. You know, blew it out of the water pick. Now that's one of the best first round picks of, you know, the 21st century. 
Um, but you know, but there are a whole lot of guys who there's still a lot of questions on. And when you're picking in the top half of the draft most every year, you, you don't want to be saying that. At least, you know, it would be nice to hit on more than they miss on, I guess, at this, at this point. And right now, I guess that's still, I guess that's still up in the air in, in terms of, you know, what, what they can be and what they are, I guess. So hopefully, like you've, you've, we've said this about a lot of different guys tonight, hopefully after 2019, we're saying that's, that's more like it. That's, or, or you know, they're on the right path. Um, so I, I got two more, two more questions for you. We've talked about, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 of these guys. Is there anyone we didn't mention tonight that's worth a mention? I mean, there are, I mean, but oh, sure. is there someone yeah. else that maybe that stands out to you the most that we haven't talked about tonight? Um, Trying to think, you know, uh, um, like a like Sebi Zavala. Like, what, what do you think? Zavala, I mean, like, like I feel, I feel Sebi Zavala safer than Zach Collins. I yeah. think Zach Collins higher ceiling, but Zavala safer because I feel better about his defense. Um, you know, Alec Hansen. I mean, if you want to talk about a guy who could be anything from absolutely never played in the majors to Wow, that guy made an all-star game. I mean, Alex Hansen still fits that. I mean, I think that, unfortunately, I think the, the, the all-star game appearance possibilities, you know, we've seen now a kind of a trend of, I mean, it is fair to say with Alex Hansen at this point, he, sustaining success is something he's never been able to prove he can do. And still, that's still very much on his to-do list. But at the same time, and I cannot say this about last year, but see Alec Hansen on the right night, and you go, okay, this guy could be pretty good. You know, we didn't see that a lot last year, obviously. I saw um, no, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, no, I saw one. Saw I saw one Hansen start, and uh, he didn't make it very far in that ball game. I think he had six or seven walks, or I don't remember what it was. And I was excited to see him. You know, it, it was later in the season, and you know, I I knew the hype, obviously. You know, I, of Sox fan, so I knew you know what he was. And then to what he was doing and the control issues were, I mean, they're real. And so another guy that you're hoping has a, a 2019 where you're like, that's more like it. Yeah. Um, I, at his worst, I heard, I heard Panson you know, sitting high 80s last year too, which Alec Hansen can't sit in the high 80s. No. <laughs> This is not a guy who can get around, you know, this is not Spencer Adams where you go, okay, the feel might make it work. You know, no, that's not, that's not who we're talking about. Um, but the reality of it is, is that, and again, I'm not trying to just be negative, but the reality is, is that when you talk about the elite farm systems, the elite farm systems, if you look at the Padres farm system right now, you talk about guys who are in the 20s on the Padres farm system who you say, man, that guy's really good. I cannot say that about the White Sox right now. I mean, I've, the White Sox, the depth of the White Sox players who you say have a chance to be impact players is significantly less than some of these other top of the farm, top of the org talent ranking farm systems. And that's one of the things that does concern me when we talk about the rebuild is that, you know, you're going to have some guys, you need some guys to kind of come out of the blue and you need some guys to, you know, you're, cause you know, uh, you know, you know, that you know that, uh, 
that some guys are going to fail. I mean, it just happens every time. You know, so, I mean, yes, there's still a lot of if this happens or if this happens or if this happens with the White Sox, which, you know, that's kind of the case with a lot of rebuilds, but, you know, they, they need, we need to have some ifs turn into that happened in 2019. It would be nice if there was a, uh, a Carlos Correa amongst this bunch. That would be, that'd be pretty good. Um, last thing, you know, Sox are, they're going to draft third in June. There's so much baseball to be played from high schoolers to, to college kids, you know, from now until then. But uh, what are your thoughts on what they do there at three? If I was the White Sox, I really wish I was picking one or two. Okay. Um, right uh-huh. now, you know, uh, I feel like that this is a draft where Adley Rushman is the clear number one right now. Um, and Bobby Witt potentially is a solid number two. Now, again, I would say with Bobby Witt, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he was still available at three. Like, there's a lot that can happen from here to there. Uh, but, but I feel like that the number one in this draft is, is pretty clear. But I, it's a, it's an okay draft. It's not a blow you away draft, but yeah, picking three, they're going to be fine. Um, Obviously, there's going to be college bats. At this time last year, we'd have been talking about Nick Madrigal all the time. We wouldn't have mentioned Jonathan Indy at all. Uh, you know, we may have talked about Alec Bohm briefly, but, you know, and then he ended up being in that mix. So there's still so much to, that will happen. Um, college bats generally rise up the draft during their uh, junior years. And so, you know, kind of we don't know where they're going there. On the high school pitching side, there are some guys who are interesting, but at the same time, it's going to be tough see many of those guys who will fit into the group at three. Um, but, you know, uh, again, I, I mean, there's debates about Bobby Witt's bat. They're, that's a pretty impact guy. I mean, that's a, that's a guy who has the potential to be really, really good. And so, you know, he could be there at three, and that's kind of a very interesting guy. And also, would, it very much would fit, to me, kind of needs for the White Sox. Now, again, you don't draft for needs. I don't want to make I won't, don't want to mess that up in any way, make people think that I'm thinking you draft for need. But at the same time, if I'm the White Sox, I don't want to draft a college cornerback, um, right. you know, next year. Yeah. You know, just because you've gone to that well. Um, you know, so ideally you're looking for a pitcher or an up-the-middle impact kind of guy. And Adley Rushman, the catcher at, you know, at, uh, at Oregon State, obviously fits that, but I don't think he's going to be available. I think he's going to go 1 1 to the Orioles. Bobby Witt, the high school shortstop, you know, out of, uh, you know, is, is another possibility there. And then there are a whole lot of other options. And again, some of the guys who are going to be options right now might rank, rank 30th on our list just because college bats really kind of go one way or another by proving it their junior year. And, Right now, we haven't had that junior year for those guys to prove it. One guy that, that I've seen on, on several, I don't know if you want to call them mock drafts this early or whatever, is a corner bat, and that's Andrew Vaughn from California. If, if, if that's what the Sox, for whatever reason, decide to do, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, he's really good. Uh, he's a, it's, and I'm not saying it won't happen. At the same time, it is really hard if you look at draft history and he ranks in this area right now because he is the second best college bat in this class. Okay. I don't think there's any question about that. That said, it is really hard to find a college first baseman who went third overall. 
there are guys who end up playing first base from who are drafted out of college who drafted third overall. But when you say drafted as a first baseman, especially a right-handed, you know, it, it is real hard to find. And that's the thing that makes me scratch my head a little bit is, is it's almost impossible to find that profile. Um, and again, draft history doesn't mean everything, but it does mean a lot. You know, tendencies over 50 years of drafts are, there's a lot of tendency there to kind of believe in. And, uh, so, you know, I, I could see it, you know, again, I think he's going to be very, have a very productive year. That said, his, his season last year was so exceptional that if he hit 350 with 20 homers this year, it's going to be a letdown. Um, so, you know, he's got to kind of go out and do exactly what he did last year. Kind of overcome the Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I cut out there at the end. I wasn't sure if you were done or not. Um, so I said that was the last thing, but we're talking about first baseman. We kind of mentioned him earlier. Gavin Sheets, I mean, the, the pathway for him to be the Sox first baseman is as clear as, as day, but, I mean, obviously he has to hit for more power. What is So considering his numbers, all the other numbers stay the same, what is considerably more power that you'd like to see out of Gavin Sheets this year for the Sox? I mean, double his home run total, triple. I mean, you know, like I think I, it's pretty low. Yeah, yeah. You know, right now, I don't think you can pencil him in. No, but I, I just meant it's. I mean, I'm like saying like I'm, I'm saying like I'm saying he could have a really good year in 2019. It'd still be hard to pencil him in. That, because that, that he has down. a long way to go. Yeah. He has, I mean, I'll put it this way: comparing him to Zach Collins, okay. You know, let's say that Zach Collins can't, you know, be a good enough defender at catcher to be an everyday catcher. I'm probably more confident in Collins' bat than I am Sheets. You know, again, he's top hit for average, but he gets on base and he hits for power. Um, you know, I, Sheets is going to have to make some significant approach changes to to really profile at first base at all. Um, and again, doesn't say that's not, I mean, we've seen multiple examples of that. The great thing about hitting in the, you know, 2018, 2019 is that guys do this, you know, ask Justin Smoke, who kind of had a similar profile. Um, you know, ask, I mean, we could go down the list. There are guys who find that power. But that said, there's not a lot positive to say out of, uh, out of the year Gavin had last year. It's got to, I mean, there's got to be significant improvement. Yep. Um, and, and again, the thing about this is, is that when we talk about this surplus of outfielders, it's very possible that, you know, again, that a Berger or a Collins or, I hate to say it, Victor Adolfo, assuming his arm comes back, uh, you know, because he's, but even an Eloy Jimenez, yeah. you know, like any of those guys could end up being the first baseman of the future. I mean, Gavin, it's not just wide open just because there's no one playing it right now other than him because, you know, first base is a position that guys kind of move down the spectrum to end up at. I guess the, the only thing I meant by that was if he produces how they thought he would produce, I guess, at, at that point, 
there was no obstruction with, with Abreu being his age. I, I think that's. Yeah, really, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I that, don't that, disagree. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really all it was. And honestly, I I think I told I think I told Matt this and you know a couple other guys that Eloy. I see him being a first baseman. You know, all hoping that you know Adolfo's arm, who's as you know, very very strong arm. Um, that would be that would stink to lose that arm out in the outfield. Um, and it just seems like Eloy would be more of a because there's more questions obviously with him in defense. I mean, there's so many other guys. It's just it's impossible to say right now. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we've we've been talking for an hour. We'd probably talk another hour. But uh, I, I mean, I think we've we've covered we've covered quite a few things. And you know, and a couple months it's going to be something different see what spring training brings and who goes where and it, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things to to be excited about this year as a Sox fan but um I, I guess we'll just see how everything plays out we, we will and that's the thing is it's always you know we never know as much as we want to know and that's what makes it fun you know is is that what we think right now will change at the end of spring training because data, you know, we'll have more data. And what we think in uh, July will be different than what we think now. And, you know, that's what makes it that's what I love about this game. And, you know, it's fun to kind of uh, keep doing this. So. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for your time tonight. Let's talk again uh, beginning of the season, see how much things have changed. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Thanks.